0: But let me read um, great verses out of Hebrews uh, twelve, um, and you know, verse one. I, I do love, I, I do love Hebrews, uh, but I hate technology. Um, so I'm going to go Hebrews, and uh, it's a oh, just great. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now you just looked at let me just put a wee comma in there. The race set out for us. So let's make sure that we know there's a race set out for each of us. Okay? A race set out for each individual. And how do we run this race? Verse two tells us, by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning and shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We know the Lord will blessed the reading of his word. Now let me read you just, you don't need to turn to it, but let me read you this. It's in 1 Samuel. It's 18. It says, whatever Saul gave David to do, he did it, and he did it well. So well that Saul put him in charge of his military operations. Everybody, both the people in general, and Saul's servants, approved of and admired David's leadership. As they returned home after David had killed the Philistine, the women poured out all the villages of Israel, singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive songs, and lutes. In playful frolic, the woman sang, Saul kills by the thousand, David by the ten thousand. This made Saul angry, very angry. He took it as a personal insult when he said, They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Before you know it, they'll be giving him the kingdom. From that moment on, Saul kept his eye on David. Two passages of scripture. The writer of Hebrews is saying, basically, God has set a race in front of us. We run our race by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Then you have in Samuel, you have Saul, because of a comparison between him and David that is made, in his race, it says that he is keeping his eyes on David. He's no longer focusing on what God has placed him to do. He's no longer placed on God's will for his life, his assignment, his purpose, but he is making all of his life and all of his attention go on to David. The title of what I want to say today is this. What about him? What about him? Whenever we're running a race, we're we're told to get on your marks. It's not right, to get on your mark. But I'm finding today in the body of Christ that instead of running the race that is set out before people, we are more concerned who's in the lanes next to us. We're more concerned about being on their mark rather on our own. What about him? Now, let me just be honest and transparent with you today. One of the things I struggle with It's my weight. My goal is one chin. I'm aiming for it. I've tried so much to to do. I mean, I used to be eight pound, two ounces. Now it's all gone. And and I think to myself, I I want to do well. And my wife loves running, right? The last time I ran, the chippy was closing in five minutes, right? And here I was trying to run with my wife, okay? And so what I did, right? What it did, this, this is <laughs> no embellishment whatsoever in this story. Um, what it did last year, now I lost a stone and a half last year, right? beginning of last year, finally again about September time. But it was a sense of I got all the gear, right? Got all the stuff. Now you'd be thankful to know it wasn't Lycra, all right? Me and Lycra is like putting me and an octopus into a wetsuit, right? So here I was, right, in all the gear, right? have an Apple Watch, just thought I'd throw that out there. But I have, I have an Apple Watch that corresponds to tell you how far you're going to go, right? So off I went, and I took a stitch, right? I looked down at the Apple Watch to see how far I'd gone. Hadn't even got out of the house Wi-Fi, right? <laughs> house Wi-Fi was still. So we went to the place that the, um, I think was just made by Bob himself, the gym. Gear on. And I went on to, you know, before you do the weights, you've got to do cardio, right? So I got on one of those running machine things. And I'm very competitive. No matter what I'm doing, I'm very, very competitive. And so I stood on the, this running machine, and I looked down, the whole run of them, right? So, of course, I thought, this whole gym is going to transform into the Olympics, right? I'm going to look down, and I'm going to beat. Now, just so happened that the gentleman beside me was a senior citizen, right? Who just wanted to give a wee bit, you know, get, keep his health going and God bless him. So it was him and I. I thought I'd have a better chance of him. So I started to watch what he was doing. And uh, when he went up, up level three, I went up to level three. When he went up an incline, I didn't. But off we went, right? And I was running and he was running, right? And, and in my mind, there I was. You see, bolt you know, slash Mo Farah, right? We were, we were in this race and I was watching him, watching him all the time. No matter what he was doing, I was trying to do. And I, in my head was, silver, you're off. If you keep going, gold, right? Ended the race. He won. Um, he kept, he, you know, he went off as we run a machine, grabbed his towel and his zimmer. And then I took my oxygen tent, and am a we inhaler, as, as I walked off. But, you know, it's funny to compare in the gym. Not so much in life. Compare ourselves in life. Maybe you need to ask yourself, who are you racing? Who are you looking at? Who are you watching? Instead of placing your eyes and energy on what God has placed on your life, and the purpose he has for you, you're looking at other lanes. You're comparing your life. You're racing to somebody else. And the comparison game is a dangerous game. You know, if I go back to the treadmill analogy, you're running, moving, sweating, but you're going nowhere. You're in the same place. And it's a great illustration for the comparison game. You compare, you watch the person you weren't meant to be, and you exert all that emotional energy, uh, psychological energy, and when you stop you realize I'm in the same spot. The more I run my race, I'm convinced that the comparison is the number one destroyer of destiny. I think it's the enemy's weapon of of mass distraction as well as destruction. To compare to somebody else. I mean, that was his issue, wasn't it? I mean, he was the head of the praise and worship team in heaven, wasn't he? He was supposed to be a conduit to express God's glory, yet he started to compare himself to God. I'll exalt myself above the throne, and that's what got him kicked out of heaven. In the book of John, chapter 21, Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter, most assuredly. In verse 18, he says, I say to you, Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself up and you walked where you wished, but when you're old, they'll stretch you out your hands and another will gird you and carry you here you do not wish, carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by the way or the kind of death through which he would glorify God. He was prophesying his death. Peter was crucified upside down, as you know. When he had spoken this, he said to Peter, follow me. Now, skip down to verse 21. Peter seeing John, and I'm summing it up, but Lord, what about him? What about this man? I heard what's going to happen to me, but what about him? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? In the message version, you mind your own business. What is that to you, Peter? You follow me. You follow me. You stick to your own lane. Jesus had risen from the dead and prepared this restoration meal for Simon Peter. It's a wonderful portion where it talks to Peter about feeding my sheep, feeding my lambs. But then it comes to the prophecy of Christ to Simon Peter to say this, there's coming a day, Peter, you know, you're young now, you're strong now, you're free to go and do whatever you like, but there's coming a day when men will come and bind you. You're going to die a death, and you're going to walk a path that you would never choose. Now, it's John's gospel that we're in. And every time John references himself, he always says the disciple whom Jesus loved. And as soon as Jesus said that to Peter, so get, get what's been said. Jesus has just said to Peter, look, you're going to die. This is what's going to happen to you. And Peter, instead of taking what Jesus is saying, goes, well, what about him? I mean, the disciple whom you love. Because that's all John seems to be saying. After a while it'd get annoying, if you were, you know, 11 guys all around you know, a table, and the one keeps on saying, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. After a wee while, men are going to have a wee word. They really are, but that's what he said. I mean, he's not wanting to hear that John's going to have a great life. No, no, that's not what he wants to hear. He wants to hear that he's going to have just the worst life that he has. What about him, Lord? And Jesus gives him a stern rebuke. He says, what is it to you how I deal with him? What is it to you that your life is going one way and his life is going another way? Well, I thought you said I was Lord. I thought you said your eyes were going to be on me. I thought you said that you wanted my will to be done in your life. Well, then why are you looking at someone else? Why is all this bad happening? Why is it going to happen to me? Why my family? Why my life? Why my doctor report? Why my business? Look at them and look at their life. I mean, what, what about John? He's never going to die. He's the only one, as a matter of fact, as history tells us, would finally play out. All the disciples were crucified or died some terrible death. But John would be the only one who dies of natural causes. Simon Peter saying, Lord, it's not there. what about him we live in a natural world we live in a crazy world we live in a world where even other people's choices can affect you why didn't God why didn't God God does intervene supernaturally miraculously but sometimes there's the non-interventions of God. We're going to get them. All Jesus said was, "Follow me," an invitation. I don't have time to explain. I may never have time to explain, but follow me. And Simon Peter standing there with a question mark for a brain, he's looking and he's saying, "Is this it? But what about him?" Well, Peter, run with endurance the race that is set before you. You do that by not keeping your eyes on everybody else, but by keeping your eyes on the author, by keeping your eyes, and it's a beautiful translation of the champion, it says. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Anytime you get your eyes off of Jesus and get them on someone else on their lane, it hinders what God wants to do in your life. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. His plan for me may not be as glorious as his plan for you, but you've got to keep on following him. His plan for you may be more public and greater than anything I'll ever experience. But my job is not to get my eyes on you. My eyes is to get on him. Why won't he heal me? Why does he heal one and doesn't heal the other? Why does he deliver some and he doesn't save somebody else? You know, after all, I've been praying. You know, we think with some kind of entitlement. I've heard it so many times over the years. We always get an attitude. Like some kind of sense of entitlement where we kind of go, you know what? You know what, Lord? I've been fasting and praying, you know. I've been I've been working hard. i pay paid my tithes. I've given the missions. You know, and I, you know I, I read 45 chapters yesterday. 45, Lord. You know, and, and, and then on a Sunday, you, you look and there's this, you know, glow-in-the-dark, perfect family come rolling into church. And you look like them. And they've got the, you know, like the money of the Kardashians and they look like the Beckhams. They come all walk in, all blessed and all and highly favored of God. And then I look at my family. And we're more like the Simpsons. We're like Ozzy Osborne's family. And you know, me and the wife have been fighting in the cars like a scene from the exorcist. And I look at the two, it's like a son of Belsy Bob. You know, and he's fighting and he's throwing stuff at his sister. And look at all this. I'm shouting and I'm coming into church. But you know, it's alright. He's still God. We serve a Savior who says, you know what? I'm going to take all that the enemy will come against you and I'm going to mess his plans and plots up and I'm going to mix it up together and all that I do is for your good. All that I do, I want to bless you. You're highly favored because you're a child of the living God. And the apostle even said it himself, when you compare yourselves among yourselves, you don't do yourself good. When you start saying, if God loves me, He'll bless me like this and he'll do this and he'll do that. I thought about what Simon Peter said. What about him? You fast forward into the New Testament, into the book of Acts actually. It's Acts 12 and heard such a wicked king that he beheads James. In the cell next to him is Peter. Peter. The king said, as soon as the sun comes up in the morning, take Simon Peter's head off as well. What was happening at the time? Church were having a prayer meeting. They were at a woman's house named Rhoda, and they were having an old-fashioned, timed, Holy Ghost prayer meeting. Deliver them, Lord. Deliver them. James got his head cut off. 24 hours later, Simon Peter is supposed to be executed. But an angel to the same jail cell, two cells beside each other. One of them loses their life and the other one gets a jailbreak. They open the door as Peter knocks and there's a whole lot of stuff in that, but he's home. They're all hugging him. You're thinking, Paul, that's not much of a faith message, is it? Believing for the miracle. Stuff we put in cups and, you know, cushions and all. That's not a faith message. Oh, it is. Faith isn't always getting the miracle. Faith is believing even when you don't understand it. Faith is believing and trusting, even when you don't have an explanation. Faith is standing firm, throwing your hands up, praising God, and confessing his word, no matter what we're looking at. Because as Peter's family are rejoicing, what's happening at James' family? What are they thinking? You see, no matter who we are, life is a skill of just leveling the playing field. No matter if we're in Downing Street, where we're in the White House or in the doghouse, God has a way, life has a way of leveling the playing field. So you're going to have good days. You're going to have miracle days. Oh, you're going to have those great blessed days, but you're going to have bad days. I want Jesus' is saying right now is stay in your lane. I don't want you, to, you know, to follow me for any other reason but because you love me. And I want you to do what I've called you to do. My assignment for you is one thing. Peter, I want you to feed my sheep I want you to feed my lambs, but my assignment for you is on the day of Pentecost. You're going to step out on the streets and you're going to give birth to a mighty church. It's going to send a revival. You're going to be part of that. But I've also a plan for John. I'm going to keep him alive. And on the Isle of Patmos, I'm going to let my spirit come upon him, catch him up into heaven. He's going to write a brochure on heaven and talk about the streets of gold and gates of pearl. He's going to give people hope. Beyond this world, he's got. I've got one plan for you, and I've got one plan for him. So keep going in your plan, keep following me. See, I'm saying today we need to have a mature faith. We've got to say, Oh, God, our eyes are fixed on you. I look at the cross. I look at what you've done for me. You could have called 10,000 angels. You could have came out of that cross, off of that cross, but we were worth more. It's worth more. Stay in your lane. Follow him through good days and bad days. Leviticus 23 and verse 40. That's an amazing verse. It is an incredible verse. It says this. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the branches of leafy trees, willows of the brook, and you will rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And you're thinking, wow, what's all that about? It's interesting. God gives people during one of the feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles, this instruction. The high priest was to go into the presence of God with two things. In one hand was a palm branch and one, on the other hand, was a willow. When you come in during this feast to represent the people, I want you to have in one hand a palm branch and in the other hand, I want you to have a willow, a weeping willow. And I want you to come with both of them in your hand and rejoice before me. And I thought, wow. That is an incredible illustration of our life. It shows a mix of two things. The palm tree. When I think of a palm tree, I think of sunshine. I think of happy days. I think of good times. I think of the beach. You know, happy times of life. So the palm branch represents victory, success, represents joy, good things. The weeping willow represents weeping. I mean, when you see a weeping willow tree, it looks like tears. It looks like it's flowing. It represents distress. Looks like weeping and sad times and trials and adversity. But what's astonishing about the instruction is, one represents health, one represents sickness. One represents victory and success, where one represents destitute, struggling, and need. And that's what life is. Life is currently one of the other. But the key is, in your lean. we've got to learn to worship with a willow Or a palm. We've got to learn to keep on focused on Jesus. Whether in palm days. Whether holding that willow. Whether in willow days. We focus on him. Not in other lanes. And we sing as the song goes. All my life you've been faithful. God is the same. God doesn't change because we're in a different time. Faithful one. Remember that? So unchanging. Ageless one. You are my rock. I will take favor from you when you go through the bad times. You don't have any more of me. We're in the good times, says God. I'm not just God of the good times, the hills and the mountains. I'm the God of the valley. And in the tears and the weeping, I'm there all the time. Keep running your race. You can be in weeping days. And just like that, God can say, look, let me take that weeping billow out. There's a palm branch. We count days as from morning to night, but that's not how God counts a day. When he created the days, the Bible said he started with a night and he went to the day. It's not over until the sun shines. God wants you to understand no matter how dark your night is, he will not leave you there. He will finish and you will finish in the sunshine. You'll go from a willow to a palm. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Whether you're in a willow day today, whether you're in a palm day, the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Psalm 35, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Keep following. Keep looking up. Not to the side, to other lanes and what they're doing. Keep looking at your own. Keep looking ahead to all the, the finish, the finish line. I will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. What does that mean? It means that we make a choice to rejoice. I will bless the Lord at all times. From this day forward, I make a decision. I am blessed. The goodness of God is upon my life. You're not out of the will of God because you're going through tears and trials and stuff. But you look up and see His majesty. We've got the, the we got the blood of Jesus on our family. We've got the blood of Jesus on our children. We follow him. We say, you know what? I'm going to follow through good days. I'm going to follow through willow days. I'm going to follow through palm days. We'd be like Jacob and say, you know what, Lord? I'm not going to let go. I want to see that breakthrough in my family. It's the message today. Forget about him and them and their path and keep running your race. Don't live your life comparing to someone else because it just wears you out. It gets so incredibly discouraging because there's always somebody stronger, somebody bigger, somebody richer, somebody better looking. But wake up tomorrow morning if God gives you another day I go, you know what? I'm going to be the best me I can be. I'm going to be happy with that. Because I know who I am. I know who I serve. This is my lane. This is is what he's placed into into my life. This is the purpose. This is the the plan. I'm going to focus on on the lane that he's set before me. I am following, running, and I'm praising God. Taking on one hand my willows, the trials, the problems, the adversities. On the other hand, the blessings, the the health, the goodness of God. I got clothes, I got food, I got a house, I got a family. I am blessed. And I want to take both of them and say, God, you're worthy of all my praise. I thank you for the child of God that I am. And let me finish with this because here's the hope. In Revelation 7, verse 9, it says after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no man can number of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne in heaven before the Lamb clothed with white robes now watch what they had in their hands with palm branches in their hands and I thought What's missing? The willow. In life will always have both. But there's coming a the day. There'll be no weeping. No sorrow. No sickness. No more dying or crying. No more COVID. No more disease. And that's what we look to. You know, you don't know Jesus. Let me say this. I, look, you don't know me, I don't know you. But let me say this. How are you getting through your life? How are you doing it? you with all those willows and stuff. I can't. You're a better person than I am. There's no way. I need Jesus in my life. You know, I know what this table means to me. It's not something Christians do every Sunday just because, we, you know, it's in our constitution. No, I love what this table represents to me. This is my Savior. This is my Lord. This is the one who has saved me, but kept me. And has kept me running. Oh, at times I wanted to get off, off the lane. Oh, I had many excuses, and a lot of them are people. But I'm not going to look at their lanes anymore. I'm looking now to the author and the finisher of my faith. Why don't you? Why don't you look to Jesus? Why do you look to Him to know palm days, willow days, whatever days, I'm going to rejoice in God my Savior. Amen.